Do you ever think about what we actually sing when we sing something like that? Sometimes, you know, it's easy when we have the music on, you just kind of go on autopilot, the words are up on the screen, and you just think, oh, they're up there, so I should probably sing whatever it is. Uh, But a song like that actually is um, positioned as a prayer that asks and invites God uh, to do what it is that we request of him, and that is to take our lives and to actually use us. And so uh, we've actually just been spending time praying and actually in worship. One of our values is a holistic worship. And so I want to just invite you to just uh, take a minute before we go into our teaching time and just uh, go over that prayer that you just prayed again in your heart. And there may be an aspect of what we sang that God puts his finger on in some way and says, that phrase that you sang, that's what I'm going to receive. You've, you've said you want to offer that to me this week and today. That, that's the part I'm going to key in on. So just spend a few minutes in quiet. Uh, Renee will keep playing and just ask, God, is there any part of that prayer that you want to highlight for me? Anything in my life uh, that you really want to yet again invite me into that process of surrendering to you? surrender uh, again to you this morning um, the phrase from that song uh, my lips I pray that they would speak words uh, not just here in this place today that are from you and filled with messages from you but uh, to my neighbors and to uh, family members and to everyone that you put me in contact with this week and so God I pray yet again that you take my life we also pray as a community father that you would take our lives and take our intellect, take our resources in every aspect and use it for your honor and for your glory, both here in this place and also around the world. And so we submit ourselves to you again for that purpose. We open our ears to hear from you and to hear from your word uh, this morning as to how we can be about that process. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thanks, uh, Karen and Renee, for leading us in that time uh, of uh, reflection. And um, so when we get into that mode where we're asking or offering something uh, to God, then the next question is, you know, what is it that God might find in my life that he actually desires uh, to use? And so as I was thinking about uh, that song and just reflecting on it, how many of you are are in... um, in professions where you are required at some point to participate throughout the course of a year of taking inventory in some way. All right, so some of you, yeah, either sometimes as a teacher or as somebody in in manufacturing or somebody in in sales or in retail, a lot of times you've got to spend a, a good effort of actually taking inventory and figuring out what is it here that we have uh, in our supplies. Now, 
Um, what is the purpose of taking inventory? For those of you who do this vocationally and know, why do you do it? Or why does, why does corporate make you do it? <laughs> Protect their assets. Yeah, absolutely. They've, they've got certain um, things that they've done. For example, they purchased insurance for a certain set of assets that they believe that they have on hand. They need to actually verify that they have those on hand, if that's accurate. Why else? Sorry? Proper replenishment. If they're low on something, yeah. All right, don't let Aiden hog all of this. He, he loves inventory. He's a manager in a retail environment. Yeah. <laughs> what else? Why else do you do inventory? Loss prevention. Absolutely. What else? Why else? To see what's gone missing? Yeah, if you've got maybe something that hasn't gone through your tracking system in some way and maybe has walked out of the classroom or walked out of the store in some way to try and figure out, okay, how many units are we off? I thought we'd have this many textbooks going into next year and now, whoa-oh, looks like we got a couple at home still over the summer for kids. What else? Any other reasons you would do inventory? Yeah, Shelly. So you know what you have on hand. Yeah, in some ways, you do a little bit of an inventory before you go out and uh, go to the grocery store and go shopping because you want to try and figure out what do we have on hand and here's our objectives that we want to try and get done. We've got to make this meal, so therefore we're going to need these things uh, in place. And you want to try and assess what are the resources that we have at our disposal. And so the same thing is actually true uh, in our spiritual lives. Every now and then it's helpful to pause and take an inventory, a little bit of an inventory of our lives, and ask the question, what resources has God given to me, and how am I stewarding them well? And so this is related to two of our core values that we have here at Jericho Ridge. And so one of those uh, core values is the value of global service, global and local service. The very end of that value, we say this. We say, we walk in obedience to God, actively looking for opportunities to use our time, our talents, and our treasures for kingdom growth and impact. That's how we think about going, about making a difference and serving both here and in the world as well. We're actively looking. That's a very intentional choice uh, of phrases. But you need to know what's in your resource inventory, what you have in terms of time, talents, and treasures in order to be able to say, God, use this in any way that you choose for your service. Uh, another one of those values that we have is generous living. And under generous living, we say it this way. We say we commit to living as faithful stewards. We're willing to cheerfully share what we have with others. Well, in order to be willing to do it, there's the willingness factor, obviously, but there's also you just have to know what you actually have in, in order to be willing, first of all, to share it with others. Generosity touches every aspect of our lives. Our friendships, our service, our time, our gifts, our abilities, and our material resources. That's part of our value structure here that we want to call each other to uh, at Jericho Ridge. And last week, Pastor Keith referenced a story that Jesus told about this in Matthew chapter 25. And it's known as the parable of the talents. And he challenged us to go home and read it this week as a part of that cluster of five uh, narratives that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25 about readiness and uh, being ready. And uh, Pastor Key, thank you for that because indeed the world did not end yesterday. And so uh, we, we 
we, you were right. <laughs> no one knows the day or the time. <laughs> so that was a good call. Uh, if you missed that message, <laughs> you know, and you were greatly concerned, you may want to go back and listen to it. It's, it's up on the, on the website, obviously. But uh, in, in this case, the parable of the talents highlights something for us about these values of uh, generous living and of global service. And it highlights a stewardship principle for us. The parable of the talents is where somebody, one person is given a lot, another person is given a little less, another person is given a little bit. And the, the question is not the amount. The question is, how do they go about using it? And so Kara's reflection and observation on, well, I may not have the same gift as another person, or I may have the same gift, but I may not have it as much as another person. The parable of talents helps to answer that question, is that that's not what God will ask you. God will ask you a question of stewardship. And so first principle of stewardship that comes up in the question of the talents is a question of assessment, which I've already asked you this morning, because you can't manage something well if you're not actively aware that you possess it. You can't manage and steward something well that you don't know that you have. And the second principle of stewardship uh, is, uh, this is similar to a principle of inventory. You can't sell it and track it unless you know that you have it in your inventory. But once you possess that knowledge, there's a second principle that comes into play. And that is a principle not only of assessment, but a principle of accountability in stewardship. And that is that the parable of the talents really teaches us that God will ultimately hold me accountable and hold you accountable for everything that he's given to you. And so um, the principle is to whom much is given, much is required. So let's talk about gifts for just a minute. And I want to ask you a couple of questions. It's not a trick question. They're not trick questions in any way, so there's no wrong answer. But what are some of the gifts that God has given to everybody? that everybody would have in their inventory. If you're saying, okay, I'm going to take an inventory of what God has given to me. What's even, think just globally. Every single person, what has God given to them? Sorry? Time, all right? So time. Everyone has the same amount of seconds in a day. We got a new watch the other day. It reminded me that there's 1,440 minutes. Minutes? Yeah, in every day. So everybody has the same amount of time that God's given to us. Okay, what else is in everybody's inventory? What kind of resources? Relationships? Okay. What else? A choice. All right. God doesn't create us as robots, and He's created everyone with a choice. Yeah, what else? Other things that everybody, opportunities to know him, okay? So try, I'm going to put this by, Romans chapter 1 says, um, God's created the universe so the people are without excuse. Nobody's going to get uh, into a place where they can stand before God and say, well, I didn't have a chance, I didn't know anything about you. Um, uh, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glories of God, uh, the firmament declares the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. So everybody is presented in some way with an opportunity uh, to know him. Yeah, what else? What's in everybody's, everybody's inventory list? Abilities, yeah. So God obviously clearly hasn't given us all the same abilities, 
But he's given all of us some abilities, some measure of abilities. What else? Yeah, for sure. That's an incredible gift that God's given to us. All right, I mean, we could keep going for a long list here, but the thing that I want you to see in our discussion this morning is sometimes when people get into a discussion about spiritual gifts, they skip this stage. They skip stage one, which is asking the question, what are the gifts that God has given to everybody regardless of their circumstance in life? What are the things that God has generously poured out into our lives um, that we need to think about and be aware of and be thankful for? Uh, Because sometimes what happens is that uh, in the evangelical world, we're real quick when we want to talk about spiritual gifts, which is the the topic of our conversation together uh, this morning. We're real quick to kind of want to go very, um, uh, we want to get an inventory of those immediately. But Before we get there, there's kind of another tier that is above that, and that is the gifts that God has given to every person uh, that God gives to everyone. Uh, And so we're going to talk a little bit about maybe some of the the tiers that creep into our thinking. So uh, God gives everyone certain gifts. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no changing, no shifting of shadows. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45 says, uh, God gives gifts to everyone. He causes the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. God just doesn't water the crops and give the rain to those who know him or pursue any level of relationship with him. That's one of his gifts to us. Um, And so God gives everyone gifts. Everyone whom he creates has some of these, and we could make a big list about these, and you could kind of quibble about, well, what levels do these exist at, and all kinds of things like that. Uh, but every good and perfect gift is from above. And so I just wanted to isolate that for you before we get into a specific conversation about spiritual gifts, is that God has given uh, all of the people that are, you are around and who are in, you are in relationship with, he's given them all gifts as well. And so it's a bridge point of conversation for you to ask them to think about what are the things that you think that God has given you. God has given these gifts to people that don't believe in him, that don't believe he exists. He's given these gifts to people who maybe believe that he exists, but who actively hate him and choose to exclude him from their life. God is still gracious in the way in which he operates and gives us gifts. And so that's kind of the first tier that I wanted to highlight for us in our thinking and in our discussion. Now, The second piece then uh, that we get into is that uh, right often the New Testament teaches that in the age uh, of the the spirit in which we all live, that God has given us, uh, those who are in relationship with him, those who have come under his lordship, those who have submitted their lives and surrendered their lives to him, uh, he is filled with his spirit. And so with the Holy Spirit then comes uh, spiritual gifts, or we, which is a term that uh, comes up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But it actually doesn't come up in the way that we always think of it, too. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, uh, he's writing and answering a question that's asked of him, and the writer's name is Paul. And Paul says, uh, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your questions about spirituals, is a literal translation, 
Not about spiritual gifts. A lot, the NIV and other Bibles will, will hunker down on the language of spiritual gifts. But it just says, now about spirituals, the spiritual things that God has given to you. So he's not into a list yet at all. Uh, I don't want you to be ignorant in any way. But what's kind of happened, and track with me on the thinking here, and we can talk about this in a minute, is that somewhere, I think it happened about in the 1970s in the evangelical world, followed, we fell into a resurgence on emphasis on systematizing these gifts. And so in the 70s, we, we kind of thought, oh man, we should talk a lot more about spiritual gifts. And so we said, well, where does the, where does the Bible specifically have uh, spiritual gifts in the text, and then a list of spiritual gifts, so we could be clear about that. So that happens in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, happens in Ephesians 4, and in 1 Peter 4. And so step one was to kind of isolate those texts, read through them, pull out all the gifts in those texts, make a nice list there. And step two was then to create an assessment guide that would help people test towards choosing their gifts on that list. Now, nothing wrong with that idea, but I'll just share a little bit about, I don't know if you've ever taken those kinds of tests, but what usually happens in those kinds of tests is they'll ask questions like, do you like to have people in your home? Well, if you've read the text, you can, uh, that 1 Corinthians 12, you see the hospitality is listed as a gift. So it's kind of not a mystery what that question, if you check yes on that question, they're almost all yes, no answers, or they're like, I strongly agree or I strongly disagree. And it feels a little bit, you know, not so great to check, I strongly disagree that I don't like, I don't like having people in my home at all. So we kind of think, oh, I should probably check yes on that. So you get through that. Uh, there's another question that says, have you ever spoken in a language that you do not know? I wonder what that question, could that be a hospitality question? No, probably not. All right, well, I'm going to check no on that one. So the outcome of the test is a little bit, it, it's, it's, they say, well, we want to help you discover your gifts. But the way that most of those tests is set up is that unless you know your gifts already, you're just going to get yes and no boxes. So you'll actually prescriptively tell yourself what gifts you think you already have. If you don't think you have any gifts, you'll always come out with a gift of helps. 80% of people to take these tests come out with a gift of helps as their top gift, and then hospitality as a leading second gift in there. And so uh, these tests kind of, though they can be helpful in many ways, I don't mean to demean their, their influence at all, they kind of steer us towards particular boxes. And so the other thing that I always do is there's certain gifts that I see other people that they have those gifts and I kind of want to also have those gifts. And so when I see a question like that, then I, I know that it's kind of waiting towards those gifts and I think I'm going to score myself a little higher on that because I would like the test to tell me that I have those gifts. For example, I would do these gifts, these gifts tests for years and years and years and I admire people who are more organized than myself. So I would check that I was more organized than I was. So the test told me for years that I had the gift of administration. Those of you who know me know that that really should not have been on my list at all. But for years, I went around talking to people, my top three gifts, leadership, teaching, and administration. And I, I was kind of people like, oh, okay, whatever, leadership, fine, uh, teaching, okay, I guess so. Administration? Really, Brad? Honestly, but I, I kind of wanted the gift, so I checked it off on the box, and so it kind of spit out that result to me, and I thought, yeah, no, that, that seems reasonable. I could accept that I have the gift of administration, because if I'm going to be administrative, it must be the Holy Spirit helping me. 
because it's not going to be me and my natural abilities in any way, shape, or form. So you can see that there are some challenges built into maybe a traditional model around spiritual gifts. And so when we read the New Testament, it teaches that God is given and empowered uh, by his spirit people with abilities that the Holy Spirit as the third person the Trinity gives us. There's another challenge that comes up to this. And it's kind of linked a little bit to that discussion of the gifts that I really wanted to have. And that is that there's a, a subtlety that slips into our thinking on spiritual gifts. And it's subtle, but it's a little bit sinister. And it's either been through explicit teaching on spiritual gifts or explicit operational strategies that we've observed since the 1970s in the life of the evangelical movement, in particular in North America. And that is that we have developed a bit of a structure that says either overtly or covertly that some gifts are better than other gifts. Some spiritual gifts are greater than other spiritual gifts. And so we've elevated certain gifts above other gifts. These tend to be the more public gifts. They tend to be the more um, demonstrative gifts. And those ones get a lot of airtime, and other gifts get downplayed a little bit. The reason we're actually talking about spiritual gifts, and we're going to come back to that in just a minute, is that we're in a series now uh, in the spring, which will take us through the end of June, on the topic of ambition. And so if you go through and you study in the New Testament, where does this word come up again and again? There's certain uh, aspects where it comes up where it's very negative, and it says things like selfish ambition, which we talked a few weeks ago about, and said there's, there's things that you want to avoid, but there's actually quite a lot of injunctions in the New Testament that say we need to get more ambitious about this. We should eagerly desire these things. And so the topic of spiritual gifts is one of those things that we are encouraged to be more ambitious about and not less ambitious about. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is one of the primary texts for us, uh, 12, 13, and 14, on spiritual gifts and then the gifts that the Spirit gives, right at the very end of chapter 12, in verse 31, there's a little verse in there that explicitly uses this word and says, um, you should earnestly desire the greater gifts. And that's what the NIV says. And the, uh, the question then for us needs to be, what does it mean and is it legitimate to desire certain spiritual gifts or certain gifts over others? And so we want to try and ask that question and explore And we want to be eager because the scripture teaches us to be eager about spiritual gifts. But what does it mean specifically to eagerly desire the greater gifts? And so that's the question that we're going to wrestle with as we go into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me share some of my own personal journey in this with you as we get started. And then we'll look at uh, the text starting in verse 14. Part of my journey with this is that I grew up uh, in a home where uh, my parents weren't people of faith. And then uh, when I was in elementary school, they started going to church, thought it would be good to get a little religion in their lives. And we went to a small country church uh, that was a very uh, conservative, uh, Bible-oriented teaching church, a Bible church movement. 
and uh, grew up in that church environment, didn't actually hear a lot about uh, the Holy Spirit, heard a lot about Jesus, heard a lot about the scriptures. And then we moved to Ontario, and I went to a high school in Ontario that was associated with a much more charismatic denomination. And so there were um, all kinds of people and all kinds of very live conversations there that were always happening. And so the people that at the high school that I was at were always talking about spiritual gifts. They were talking about things like sign gifts, which was not a familiar term to me at all. And I was never really quite sure what they were talking about, but I came to understand that this was associated with very, very public, very demonstrative gifts. It usually also meant in their language that that was somebody that was in leadership in some way in a very public setting. And so I started to ask some questions about that and thought, I hadn't heard about this when I was growing up. Where, where do you get that kind of information from about gifts? And I was pointed to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, and told, well, hey, Brad, you know, you should be eager. You should earnestly desire greater gifts, uh, the greater gifts in, in your life. And I was told that if I didn't have them, it was either likely an issue of my faith, that I didn't have enough faith to believe God for greater gifts, or... It may have been that God hadn't placed me in a position of leadership where I needed any of those greater gifts. And so either uh, God didn't want to give them to me because I didn't love Jesus enough, or God didn't want to give them to me because he didn't need me enough to actually need the spiritual gifts that he was going to then use for those in, in leadership. It, so I should just be, the message usually was, if, if, you weren't, if you were eagerly designing the greater gifts and they weren't coming, you should just be content with the gifts that you had because you probably weren't cut out for leadership material. Uh, so I kind of thought, all right, well, I don't really know, but it seems that says, Scripture says eagerly desire the greater gifts. So, uh, but something about it didn't quite sit right with me. I knew I wasn't a cessationalist. I didn't believe that the gifts weren't for today. But something bothered me about this third-tier kind of thinking that there's a certain category of gifts that were reserved for super spiritual people and that I should eagerly desire them in some way because those were like upper-level gifts and then there was kind of other gifts that were kind of behind-the-scenes type gifts, like gifts of helps. Everybody can have the gift of helps, but if it's going to be like a gift of prophecy, that's a different category of gift altogether. And I couldn't put my finger on why this bothered me for a long time until I went to college and I learned some principles of biblical interpretation that helped me to understand 1 Corinthians 12.31 in a bit of a different light. And so I want to probe into that a little bit this morning. But part of the challenge is when people would talk to me about desiring the greater gifts, they would just quote 1 Corinthians 12.31 and would just kind of put it out there and they wouldn't read anything else in the text. And so as a principle of biblical interpretation, that's not a great way to go about understanding what it is that God's trying to communicate to us uh, in the text of the scriptures, which are authoritative for our life and practice. You want to try and get a sense of the context of it. So I'm going to back up to verse 14 and read a little bit of the context, which will help us understand verse 31. And the image that pervades this discussion is the image of a body the image of a, of a physical body. And I'm going to read from uh, the New Living Translation. When I get to verse 27, the text will come up uh, on the screen for you. Just a reminder, bring your Bibles uh, to church while I'm on sabbatical. It'll fool the guest speakers into believing that you're paying attention to what they're saying. Uh, so do them a favor uh, while, while, while I'm away. I'm going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, starting in verse 14. It says, Yes, 
The body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, well, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, well, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts. God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yeah, there are many parts, but only one body. And the eye can never say to the hand, then, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and the least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts that we regard as less honorable are those that we clothe with the greatest care. So when we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, well, the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God's put the body together in such a way and given honor and care to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony amongst the members so that all of the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all of the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all of the parts are glad. And all of you together are Christ's body. Each of you is a part of it. And here are some of the parts that God has appointed for the church. First are apostles. Second are prophets. Third are teachers. Then those who do miracles. Those who have the gift of healing. Then those who can help others. Those who have the gift of leadership those who speak in unknown languages? Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? The answer is, he's saying, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Are we all teachers? No. Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire, and then depending on what your translation says there, the greater gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And the thorny verse is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31, which is where we have a problem of translation. Coming from the original languages that the Bible was written in, in this setting it was written in Greek, and being translated then uh, into English, by scholars based on very early textual material. So the King James translates verse 1231 this way. says, earnestly desire the best gifts. The New American Standard chooses very similar territory. Earnestly desire the greater gifts. The ESV, English Standard Version, similar territory. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. And so you can see where a kind of a third-tier thinking comes into our brains if we think, as Western individuals, we think to ourselves, well, what else could I think? There was a list that was just given. It was actually numbered. First, second, third, right down to the eighth. And the next phrase says, go after the best, greatest, highest gifts. Our Western minds are trained to think that what's at the top of a list is the best or the most important and then lesser important things get put further down on the list. 
And so our Western minds are trained to think that if we read verse 1231, it says, go after you should eagerly and earnestly desire the highest, the greatest, the gifts that are at the top of the list is kind of the way that we read this. So then we think to ourselves, all right, well, number one, it says apostle. I'm not sure what that gift means, but I don't know, I guess I should desire it in, in some way. If I can't get there, then maybe I should aspire to prophetic gifts. That's number two. I'm not sure what that would mean. Oh, finally, something manageable, a, a, a gift of teaching. All right, well, if that's a greater gift, then maybe I'll try and aspire towards that. And that's kind of how we fall into our thinking about lists when it comes to uh, the way in which our minds are oriented and the way in which we read a text like this. But there's a translation problem because that's not actually what the verse says. The third tier of a best, higher, greater is not actually a category that the Bible is arguing for or would support when it comes to gifts because we've read the context of this, which is all about the body and how about every part works together for the whole good of the whole of the body. And so the third tier as a, some set of super gifts in some ways, a bit of a hard argument to make from a biblical category. Now, we've got to ask the question of why then? Why would it be more challenging to argue for a superset of gifts or a third tier of gifts? Not just the first tier that God gives to everybody, not just the second tier that he gives by those who are filled with his spirit, but also then somehow this third tier that, that people might argue for. Well, it comes back to a little bit of our uh, series teaching on the topic of ambition. And the thing with ambition is that every time on every single Sunday, you'll hear us saying something along these lines in maybe different words. With ambition, we have to get a very strong and healthy assessment of our target. Where are we going? What, is, or what are we being called towards? What are we being uh, compelled to or invited by the scriptures to pursue and to build into our lives. So what is the target? But we are also called to assess what is our motivation as we move towards that thing which we are called to be ambitious about. And so we're called to be ambitiously waiting or ready, we talked about last week. But we have to make sure that our target is the right target. We're not setting specific dates and times and anchoring um, our, our thinking to that. And then also our motivation, the, the, the means, not just the ends, of while we're waiting, what's going on in our hearts. So we're not only asking the question of where is our ambition taking us, but also asking what's going on in our hearts and, I, and my head as I move toward that goal. Why am I after that particular goal? And so here's my observation of what happens when we live with a practical theology of third-tier gifting, that somehow there's a set of gifts that are higher than other gifts. If we live with a practical theology of greater gifts, it's very often that we fall into traps on both our target and on our motivation. We have misplaced goals when we live with a practical theology of greater gifts, and we also have misplaced motivation as we move towards our goal. So does that make sense so far? Okay, let's stop and ask a couple of questions 
about this? Has this been, first of all, your experience? Have you heard people talk, or have you somewhere in the back of your mind thought, yeah, there's probably some gifts that are a little showier, a little more, uh, they're kind of classier gifts than, than the, rest of the, the rest of us might have. Has that been a conversation? Okay, talk to me a little bit about that. Right, yeah, yeah. Now, were they, not to put any friends in the spot, did they also happen to coincide with gifts that they themselves had? Because that's another trap we can fall into of looking at everything through our lens and saying, well, if my gift is hospitality, why do the rest of you bums not care about people like I care about? Because, you know, like I've got hospitality gifts and the rest of you need to up your hospitality game, right? So we kind of look at things that would, would that also square with that experience or... Okay, so they were taught to value certain gifts higher than other gifts. Is there, are there gifts that you feel like people talk about in those categories? Like, could you name them? What would they be? Or in your experiences, what would they be? Prophecy? Okay. What else? Speaking in tongues? Yeah. What else? Gift of healing? Teaching? Now, it's interesting to me, the ones that we've mentioned here, um, there's actually been a, a movement or a development in the Christian world over the last uh, number of decades that all of those gifts that were mentioned actually begin to get associated with like a job in the Christian world in some ways. We have people that actually... Uh, have it be um, their full-time role to go around. I had a guy that I met for lunch one time in one of these uh, inner church settings, and he handed me his business card, and it just had his name on it, and underneath it, it said prophet. And I said, oh, um, what does that mean? And he's like, well, that's what I do. I said, okay, but I still don't know what that means. Well, that's just what I do. Like, it was confusing to him that I didn't quite understand. So somehow, some of these have actually gotten fused with roles, in the Christian movement in our mind. So someone is, for example, in now today's culture, a teaching pastor uh, or people that um, make their living going around in, in a healing ministry and that begins to define their whole of their ministry, right? So, so yeah, we can see how this kind of, this kind of thinking can creep in uh, to the way in which we go about, uh, about operating. So my observation on this is that there's a couple of primary problems that we get ourselves into if we live with a theology of third-tier gifting. And so the first problem that we run into is that it's the wrong target. We set up the wrong goal for ourselves for aspirations. And we see the lists that come of spiritual gifts as a hierarchy or as positional offices in the life of of uh, the global Christian community. And so we do have people in the Christian world today that, that um, would run around and, and claim that as their title. It would be on their business card. Well, I'm an apostle or I'm a prophet um, and a teacher. And this is just the way, that this, the way that this 
gift list comes to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 starts with those. There's actually eight gifts that are listed. And so the question that we have to ask is, if we hear this as a hierarchical list, the question is, does that sound in any way consistent with what we read earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the body and the discussion of the body? Connection, disconnection. What's your sense? Disconnection in what way? Talk a little more about that, Scott. Yeah. Right, yeah. Just even as a very practical example of pursuing the greater ones and others get left out, this isn't a comprehensive list of the gifts that are, that are in resonant in the New Testament. In fact, no one text contains a comprehensive list that none of the other ones contain. And I think part of the message that we should take from that is exactly that, that if we, if we want to systematize something, uh, the scriptures don't orient us towards that very well. They don't put them all in one place, list it out, and put little check boxes beside them and say, all right, these are the better ones, these are the lesser ones. They actually intentionally leave some of the gifts out of every list to send us a message that we too shouldn't be thinking about ourselves in some pursuit of these glorified gifts in that way. So it, it, there's a fundamental level of inconsistency that comes with the rest of 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, that image of a body and many parts, and that uh, the hidden parts are just as important as the public parts, is kind of works against this kind of third-tier thinking. So that's the wrong target to set for ourselves. If I'm going to go after these greater gifts, one and two on the list. The second thing that happens is, and subtle is the wrong motives creep in. And that it actually then becomes not about the gift or about the recipient, that uh, in the discussion of the gifts, whenever they're listed in the New Testament, the emphasis is on the giver, on God who gives good gifts to us, and on the community in which the gifts are resident. And so the, the text, uh, the New Living Translation, actually does a wonderful job of translating 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. And it translates it in this way, eagerly desire the most helpful gift those gifts which are well-suited to the needs in which you find yourselves and the gifts that are given to the particular community for the particular time in which you find yourself that would be of help to the whole of the body. And so when we begin to get it into our heads that some gifts are more exciting than others, we begin to subtly or not so subtly let our ego drive the conversation as opposed to letting the Spirit of God do so. Romans, all of the gifts say the Spirit gives the gifts to whomever he chooses. It's not up to us to go and chase after these ones. And we get ambitious then for the public nature of the gifts. We want it so badly, we overlook the good gifts that God has already given to us. And so here's where I think the translation work in the New Living is helpful. Desire the most helpful gifts. Because remember, the purpose of the gifts is not about you or about me. It's about the giver. God, who gives good gifts, like we sang in that song, Father of Lights, who to his body, the church, and his redemptive mission in the world. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that 
we can help each other, not so that we can look good. But the confusion around all of this leads to another byproduct. And some of us then, we think, well, I'm not going to get those really nice gifts, so I'll just give up. And we ignore the conversation altogether. And we say things like, oh, I took one of those stupid tests. You know, I have the gift of help. Whoopee, I'll stack a few chairs here and then so we can get to the Canucks game faster. Um, The grace of God has been poured out in your life, friend, in more significant ways than that. As valuable as a job as that is in the mission and purpose of seeing our Sunday morning uh, agenda accomplished. But because of this confusion, sometimes we just throw up our hands and we say, ah, forget about it. You know, been there, done that. I rode that evangelical roller coaster ride in the 70s, took whatever it was, you know, uh, Wagner House, you know, shape or network or whatever. Yawn, snooze, not particularly relevant. Um, Don't know my gifts, but uh, I would say that the problem for us as a faith community is not, does not reside in the fact that we are overeducated about our spiritual gifts and the gifts that God has given to us. It's probably that we're, we're under aware of what it is, that many of us don't know our gifts and we don't understand the implications. And it might be because of the third challenge that we get into when we put that out there as those super gifts, we kind of end up resulting in weak ambition. And we end up just saying, ah, forget it. I'm just going to give up on this whole spiritual gifts thing. But the problem is that the parable of the talents teaches us that we're going to be held to account. And everywhere in the New Testament, when it talks about spiritual gifts, it encourages us and motivates us towards it. It says in, in chapter 12, verse 31, eagerly desire the gifts. In chapter 14, verse 1, desire these abilities that the Spirit gives to you. At chapter 14, verse 39, be eager to prophesy. Don't forbid the speaking in tongues. And so some of the strongest language of ambition in the New Testament is reserved for the discovery and development and deployment of your gifts that God has given to you because it's a stewardship issue. And some of us have an incredible inventory in our storehouse and we're not moving it. It's sitting stagnant because of weak ambition. And so we have a response to that. We've established that 1 Corinthians 12.31 doesn't say what we may have thought it said, but instead it calls you and I to be desiring and understanding and get ambitious about gifts that are helpful. And what are the implications of that then? Well, the first one is maybe for those of you who are here, and you may not acknowledge and may not know God as the forgiver and ruler and leader of your life the first thing that you may need to actually do is kind of go back to our list of gifts that God gave to everyone and actually say, you know what? I acknowledge that God is the giver of these gifts to me. God is the one who has given me time, relationships. He's given me this day as a gift. And so if you're in that category, my question for you is, what would happen in your life if you actually surrendered your life to God and allowed His Spirit to use the gifts that he has given you in a fresh way. The next piece of of reflection and response might be for those of you who say, you know what, I'm kind of new to this whole discussion of spiritual gifts. And I've read a little bit of reading about it, but I'm not 100% sure where I would go with it. I don't know if I know my gift as well as I I maybe should know. I was going to do an exercise, but we don't have time to turn to the person next to you and say to them your postal code. Most all of us know our postal codes. Um, you know, 
I tend to forget mine sometimes, but if you know your postal code. And then the next part of that exercise that you want to do maybe on the ride home is turn, to ask that same person, list your top three spiritual gifts as you understand them, the top three gifts that God has given to you as an individual. My suspicion is a ton of you could probably list your postal code like that and couldn't come up with maybe one or two gifts that God has put resident in your life. But the challenge is God's not going to hold you accountable for how you steward your memory in your postal code. God's going to hold each of us to account to a journey of discovery, development, and deployment of the gifts that he has placed resident in your life. And so the challenge to you this morning might be to become a better student of yourself and the opportunities that God has put into your path. And to help you do that, uh, we've created a non-traditional spiritual gift inventory called Stewarding the Manifold Grace of God. And there's one of those in every row. And so if you want to grab that and that's yours, you want to take it home and look at it a little bit more. And it just is a series of questions to help you understand and discover a little bit more about how God has wired you up and how he's created you. It'll probably take you about a half hour to an hour to do, probably longer if you want to take it seriously. And so if you want to commit to a discovery process, then get in a, a room alone with God, start asking some of these questions, and then test it with some of the people around you that know you well. And you'll have a much stronger sense, and there's instructions in that text as to how to do that. And then the last piece is for those who maybe have been on this journey for a while, but who have underutilized or misutilized resources sitting in your inventory somewhere. Some of you are sitting on your spirituals. Some of you are hiding or very well your spirituals. And there's an accountability relationship that stewards, uh, that God will call us to account as stewards for. And so the question there that I'd like to ask us is, what would it look like if everyone that was a part of our faith community here knew your gifts, knew the things that God had entrusted you with, and leveraged them for maximum impact for the mission of God and under the power of the Holy Spirit in the world? Each of you has been given a unique gift and a unique talent. Maybe more than one. Do you know what those are? And do you know what your plan is to steward them well? If not, get ambitious to discover and develop and deploy your gifts for God's mission in the world. And we're here to help you. So let's pray together. God, we say thank you for the incredible gifts that you've given to each and every one of us. And we pray that you would stir up in our hearts a desire to know you more passionately and more deeply and that you would continue to challenge us to a higher level of stewardship with the things that you've entrusted to us. Not just our spiritual gifts, but the gifts that you've given to each one of us. The things that are our material resources, our time, our relationships, the love that you've poured into our hearts. And so God, in, in all of this, we need your help. Uh, because it's you who empowers these gifts by your spirit for your use and for your honor and your glory in the world. And so we want to commit to being people who go out in this week to look for ways and opportunities to steward the gifts and resources that you've given to us and please you in, by doing that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Well, friends, if uh, you are uh, able to stick around for a few minutes, it would greatly assist our facility team in their desire to watch the Canucks game. Uh, We will put it on on the TVs on the back here uh, because we can get the feed, and we'll stack the chairs, and that way everybody can uh, get home and still be well appraised of what's going on uh, in the greater world. Thank you for being with us this morning. If you have any follow-up questions to things that we talk about, uh, all of our contact info is available online and in the info sheet, and we'd love to have a future conversation uh, with you as an individual about that. Go in God's grace and his peace this morning.